You are listening to the podcast of Open Life Church. We are located in Bonnie Lake, Washington, and meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at Bonnie Lake High School. Thank you for taking the time to download our podcast or visit our message archive page at livinglifeopen.com. If you are visiting us on our message archive, I just want to make you aware of two things. First, there's a link just above the audio display where you can download our fill-in-the-blank handout. And second, after you're done listening, we would love for you to follow the link on the upper right side of the page that says Let's Connect. Here you can tell us a little bit about yourself or tell us something that we can pray with you about. Feel free to give us as much or as little information as you'd like. Wherever and however you are listening to us today, we are excited you are here and we hope you enjoy it. Now here's today's speaker. Sorry, I have a little bit of a raspiness, been battling a cold and the Huff Home is kind of sick, but we did have fun this week. Did anybody else have fun on Halloween and uh, liven up their neighborhood a little bit? I love it. It's the one day out of the year when, like, you know, our goal is to be on mission and to make an impact in people's lives. And on this day every year, they literally, like, come to your door. <laughs> it's like you get to meet neighbors and, and have a great dialogue. And we love being kind of the a bright spot in our neighborhood on Halloween, we've got right next to us the scariest house in our neighborhood where, like, they're going to trick you in some way, shape, or form to make you think you've already been scared, but the scariest thing's then coming. And they build on this thing every year, and somehow they put it up in a day. It is impressive. And, uh, but yet now, this year, we found that, like, people would just cross full on to the other side of the street because they're a little on the terrified side, and so the werewolf would, like, chase them. Uh, the werewolf man, it was crazy. Uh, so they would come in waves, and this is kind of, you know, we kind of did an inventory afterwards. We figure we had a, a lower year than normal this year, just a little over 250 trick-or-treaters, and uh, uh, we've been, we've knocked on the door of 400 before. Uh, we gave out 110 hot chocolates, and that's for the, the, uh, probably more than that because I did do refills for some people. And we had uh, lots of great conversations around our fire pit, which we put in the front. So we just kind of light it up, you know, and, and hang outside because we know we would spend all of our time at the front door. So why not just have a bonfire? It's nice and warm. Just have fun out there and hang out with people. And so we have a lot of, uh, a lot of fun on that day. And one of my favorite moments that, that happens every year to no fail, is somebody will come and maybe we know them, you know, from school or somewhere and they'll go, hey, you know, they've been hitting up the whole neighborhood and they're like, my kid is about to explode. Can I use your bathroom? Right? Happens every year. And uh, this year to no avail, it happened again. Hopefully, uh, I have some help at that moment so I don't just leave everything out. It's dangerous if you just leave the candy bowl on its own, you know, it can definitely throw the whole system off because somebody's like, you know. So you just, you know, I had Preston manning the candy and hot chocolate as I, like, led our guest to the restroom and uh, showed them where it was, you know. And you're kind of always glad that the house is somewhat presentable, even though you have this, like, mass chaos moment where everybody's getting in costume, and they, like, because the first knock comes at the door, and they all just disperse, and you're like, 
There is disaster when you're making tons of 110 cups of hot chocolate. There's pretty much disaster happening in the kitchen, in the sink. And, and this year we were crazy. We decided to carve. We didn't get to carving the pumpkins. I have no idea how that happened. I won't say that we were busy. Anyway, so, you know, but we, we carved pumpkins that day. So the house was an extra mess. But anyway, I helped a little kid be relieved uh, with his dad coming into our house and and uh, I'm glad our house can be seen as like a safe place to ask that, right? And we certainly, over the course of the years, have developed a system to make this day happen. Now, I'm usually the one that stays, well, I have been every year, what, eight years now in the house we're in. So I'm the one who stays in the driveway. I'm like the one who stays home. Dana takes all the kids and goes out trick-or-treating, and to no avail, one of them gets a little scared or tired and we'll come back and hang with dad and, and, and help pass out candy. Because, I mean, you've got to keep the fire going and you've got the hot chocolate, which you have to run in and refill. It's not like we have this big, huge, like, container of never-ending supply. So you go back in and you, you're, re, you're taking a ladle and then you get tired of the ladle and then you try to pour it and then it goes all over the floor and then you're, like, burning yourself and then you're boiling water and then you forget your boiling water and it boils over. And you're just like, it's kind of that inside. It's kind of a kitchen chaos. And, uh, and so you're managing that, keeping the candy restocked, and you got to make sure you have enough cups, and just all those details can make it to where it's a little bit, ah! while you're still trying to be hospitable to everybody that's coming trick-or-treating. And uh, uh, so we kind of we have fun and have developed a system so that it, it works. If we, it, it wouldn't be the same if we made people make their own hot chocolate, Right? It's just more hospitable if we do it. And it's like rich and quality and it's good and flavor. It wouldn't be the same if we made them grab their own candy, but we like say happy Halloween and have that touch of personal effect on their life. You know, if we, it, it wouldn't be right if people were like, oh, a fire pit, can I make one? Whatever, dude. You know, it just wouldn't be the same hospitality, right? Just wouldn't be the same. They would not feel nearly as welcome. Well, our neighborhood has both those who live there and those who drive in and like, oh, here's a good one to trick-or-treat at, right? Uh, and, and so they'll, we'll have whole herds of people. They usually come in large clumps at a time. And uh, so last year they tried something different in the neighborhood. We've got like one of those Facebook groups where they just, we talk to each other and nobody else hears, you know, or we think it's a secret, but it's really out there on Facebook, so nothing's a secret. Um, but anyway, you're, 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 last year they said, hey, let's give special, like, glow sticks or whatever to kids that are in our neighborhood. Let's, let's spoil the kids in our neighborhood, and those who just drive in, they get the other candy, right? Well, some people got really pissed at that, and, uh, like, that's the, like, a horrible thing to do, and so we were, we were trying to, you know, navigate that last year, and, and, and people were so irate, like, you know, you should have seen the comments. It was awesome. It just was not as hospitable. So why not just treat everybody on a level playing field and just bless everybody who comes to our door? And so we did not do that this year in the neighborhood. There's too much negative pushback, which I was glad for, uh, but... I just wanted to say that because it's a beautiful illustration of what Jesus is going to teach us today, how to be hospitable, 
how to be welcoming. And I'll come back a little bit, reflect a little bit on how we do the whole Halloween deal as we talk. But let me read Luke 9, 46 through 56. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent to me. For it is the one who is the least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. Whoever's not against you is for you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, so here's John again, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy him? <laughs> I just love his zeal there. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Man, this is a very interesting section of the text of Luke. And uh, I'm kind of excited to dig into it here, but I think we're going to have to just put a couple issues out there. Like this just brings out brings to light a couple massive issues with the church. Not open life necessarily, but the, the church, like churches out there in our world. And these, these issues actually do have an effect on you. They have an effect on your willingness to invite a friend, your willingness to feel like church is a safe place. And to really allow those who are far from God, just kicking the tires of the faith, to walk through the doors and feel okay no matter where they're at in life with no preconceived expectations. Two major issues that are addressed are, are what we're going to hit on today. We'll just hit on two of them. And the first is consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity. When did it become all about us? And our desires. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? I, well, I'm greater than you. No way. I wrote a song about how great I am. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. Yes. See, it was even back here, right? You know, they're fighting over it. When did the church become Burger King? Have it your way, right? It's kind of like, I don't know. When did it become about the church and its needs versus the community? And the needs of the place where God has planted us. When did we start drawing lines and using language like us and them? When did it become about churches positioning against each other for who is the greatest over who is the least? Well, I think you know the answer. It was happening even here, in the, right in the presence of God, of Jesus himself, right in his face. 
there was already positioning and entitlement and all these different things were rising up and kind of sparking right there. Jesus shut them down with a simple illustration of a child standing next to him and saying, hey, we need to place our energy and focus on being welcoming versus trying to build our own kingdoms and agendas. Let me, let me repeat that. We must place our energy and focus on being welcoming. Go back to the story of someone needing to use the restroom at our house. Um, I don't just stay inside the house and, and uh, you know, leave the door open and tell somebody to grab their own candy and if they need the bathroom, oh, it's just in there somewhere, just kind of, find, you'll find it, try some doors, you know. It just wouldn't make sense, right? Make them find their way to the bathroom. No, I go inside. I walk them. It's like five steps inside our house, right? You go, and it's right here to the left. I make sure I turn the light on for them. I make sure there's toilet paper. That's wisdom. And, uh, you know, here's the sink. You know, I, I, I make sure I have a dialogue with the parent while the child's whatever they were doing, right? Guess what? If they plug the toilet, I don't care. I'll unplug it. I won't say, well, you better go find a plunger. It's somewhere in our house, you know? I, no hospitality, manners towards a guest would mean I'm going to serve this person to no end, to make sure that they know it's safe and welcoming. They're welcome in our home. For some, that might be foreign. Maybe that's not the way you grew up. Maybe you didn't grow up with an open door kind of policy in your house. I know when we went to visit Indonesia this, this last summer, they actually have different levels of exposure in a house as to how well you're known. Like different rooms. First you would go into like the first space, but if you're more well-known, you would go into the second space, which involves kind of the kitchen and food, and then, you know, there's the whole property. It's just interesting in their culture. But in our culture, it'd be weird. It'd be absolutely foreign if I told them, well, you know what, yeah, about, about the bathroom, it's only for family. You know, only, it's only for us. We don't let other people, especially your kind of people, use our restroom. You have to become part of the family. There's a process. There's some documents you have to sign, and then we have to vote on you, and then if we vote on you to be a part of our family or friend circles, then, then you can come in, but you know, it'll take a while before you can get to the bathroom. There's kind of like a rite of passage before you can use that. And then, you know, it's like, but sometimes like church feels like that, doesn't it? That's not healthy. That, that's foreign to the whole concept of being welcoming. Welcoming. So we make people feel welcome in our home. Hopefully, because the Bible teaches things like Romans 12, 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. We're all His people. He loves all of us. We're created in His likeness and image. And then it says this. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Practice makes perfect, right? 
Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Isn't that an interesting thought? Like if, if you just indwell a culture of hospitality and being welcoming, if you have great manners towards strangers, then guess what? At some point in time, you entertained an angel. Now, we've definitely entertained some non-angels before in our house. You know, you've all had those guests, right? You're like, honey, never invite them over again. You know, let's go clean up all the broken things. It's just that happens. And, uh, and we know what it feels like on the other side of hospitality. If the hospitality is more received like entitlement, like the person's at your house for the first time and they just walk to the refrigerator and grab whatever, you know, start helping themselves and you're like... Where's your time out? Okay, let's wait. You know, there's that side of it too. So, so we don't want to be the entitled, but we want to be the hospitable. Call it what you will, welcoming, hospitable, simply having manners. But we got to resist the temptation of making church all about us and our needs versus really we should be the most hospitable people in the world towards someone who's a guest for the first time and and, and, and we're really going to value that if we have someone with us who is a guest for the first time. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess that'll make a difference, right? The least entitled among us is the greatest, according to this lesson that Jesus is teaching. And he uses the child as the illustration. The one willing to lay down our agenda, the one willing to lay down our own personal appetites, The one who's willing to be less of a consumer and more of customer service is going to be the greatest. Jesus is trying to teach us here. Can we get practical? Okay, so let's just get practical. Uh, one of the keys of being welcoming is to level the playing field and remove obstacles that might make someone feel unwelcomed. And that's kind of Jesus is kind of hitting on this a little bit here. So what are some of the obstacles that might make people feel unworthy or unwelcomed? I, th I think it's like preconceived expectations. And, and you might not think you have any expectations, but when you start to evaluate, you go, man, I guess I kind of do. What assumptions do we make and place on somebody, whether it's to our knowledge or not? either stated or unstated. Like, you know, what if we all, what if we had this culture where we all carry Bibles to church? And this did exist not long ago in churches, right? And every Sunday we would like, hold your Bible up. This is you, my sword. I'm, I'm making fun of somebody. I need to stop. But anyway, you know, it's just like you could, have, you, could, you could be that church. But guess what? If everybody's walking in with a big old thick study Bible and then the person walks in who doesn't own a Bible, how does it make them feel? Unwelcome, right? We're going to put all the Scriptures on the screen. We're going to give you a handout with all the text there as well so you can go and reference it. But I'm just saying that's one thing, that if we did that, why do we all fill out a connection card every Sunday? And we all should grab a worship guide and we all should fill out a connection card every Sunday. Why do we do that? So that the guest doesn't feel like the only one filling out the card, right? 
Plus, we all should be turning it over and responding and allowing Jesus to move us towards action in our faith. That way, when the buckets pass at the end of a service, it's not just a couple people dropping something in, but we have the opportunity to drop in connection cards or offering envelopes, and we're not making anybody feel like they're the odd one out. Everybody's participating in some way, shape, or form. It's interesting how intentional we've been about some of these things, isn't it? All in the name of being welcoming, leveling the playing field for people. There's no dress code Unless, like, you were going to try to wear a 49er outfit or something. There's no, none of that. We should put that on the website. You just can never wear that. Um, somebody actually had the gall to wear, like, a Denver uniform last year. I won't mention any names, James. But, uh, Della Vega. <clears throat> Sorry, I had something in my throat. Uh, yeah, it's just interesting. So maybe insider language. We try to discipline ourselves and check ourselves and say, man, are we using insider talk that wouldn't make sense to somebody who's a guest? Or there is a language called Christianese, you know, and, and you know it, you might not recognize it until you're in a conversation using it, and then you're like, oh yeah, like, somebody's not going to have any clue what I'm talking about. Like, are you washed in the blood, brother? What, I'm not related to you, and what do you want me to do? And I didn't get sprayed by a skunk, and I thought it was tomatoes. Right? You just, what are you talking about? It's like, no, let's, let's back up and, and make it plain. And you might get tired of us mentioning names or like the Gospel of Luke. Well, what's the Gospel? There's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all written to different audiences. But these are the four books that are the beginning of the New Testament. They're the Gospel accounts. They're the accounts of Jesus. The Bible builds up to Jesus, and everything through the lens of Jesus makes the whole Bible make sense. But the whole peak, the pinnacle of the Bible is the story about God sending His one and only Son, Jesus, to earth. And you might get sick and tired yet. Yeah, hey, Pastor Thad, I know what the book of Luke is. But then you're really thankful when there's somebody sitting next to you that's never been to church before that has no idea when you're reading numbers and names what you're talking about and help them along to understand what the Bible is. It's being welcoming. When somebody comes to your house and like Thanksgiving, we love having a guest at Thanksgiving every year. We try to find people who don't have any family and, and just say, hey, why don't you, you know, you're more than welcome to come to our house for Thanksgiving. And we, we cook enough food. And, and this year, they'll have to be a Seahawks fan because it goes right from like food into the Hawks game. But anyway, we're sitting there and, and you're like, you know, uh, they'll come in and I'll go, hey, come on in, you know, shoes, you can take your shoes off or leave them on, whatever's cool, you know, and, and uh, we're going to have snacks for a while, we're going to hang out, play some games, then we're going to do food over here. And you're, you're kind of guiding them through, it's kind of like, in, you know, we give you the handout, the little, we call it a worship guide instead of a bulletin or whatever, but it walks through our 70 minutes together today. It's kind of the same thing. How welcoming are we? It's funny how hospitality matters. And it matters most to the guest. Or it matters most to the person who has a guest. One warning before going to point two. And it's a fill-in, I think, maybe on your handout. The greatest enemy of hospitality is entitlement. The greatest enemy of hospitality is entitlement. The day you turn the corner from serving and considering yourself the least of these, and taking your stand for your rights and defending what is yours, 
This is when consumer Christianity is at its worst. This is when it gets ugly and repulses those who would love to know more about Jesus but don't want to have to go through the church to get there. The whole mindset that John stated to Jesus, he is not one of us, so we tried to stop him from casting out demons. Let me catch you up to pace. In the previous story, the disciples were trying to cast a demon out of a child of a parent, and it didn't work. So now here's this guy who's not been with them that is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And they're like, we weren't able to, and he was. Well, hey, knock it off. You're not one of us. I wonder how that makes people feel. Interesting. He's not one of us. And what did Jesus was like? What? Don't stop him. You're not one of us? If he's not against us, he's for us. Which leads right into point two. One of the worst things about the church and that the church is known for is being against people. Isn't it? And the media tries to get every pastor, I love when they interview people on like CNN or whatever, and and Pierce Morgan, I don't know why it always seems like he's the worst, but you know, they're just trying to like pin somebody on an issue, and they just try to, you know, well, tell me what you're against or how you hate people. That's what they want to know. Like, why do you hate people? I actually don't. Well, well, you say that you're against this. Well, actually, I've never said that. No, this is what we're for. Well, why won't you talk about what you're against? You know, they just kind of, people want to, they assume we're so judgmental and against and thou shalt not. When the Bible's all about good news, it's not about, uh, Jesus came to give us good news, not like a bunch of be against this, you know? I love the thought of for you and welcome. And Jesus makes it pretty clear that he does not want us to destroy those who don't yet get Jesus. Do you want us to call down fire on them? Uh, that was a long time ago in the Old Testament, and Elijah was like put to a test with some like Baal worshipers, and he called down fire to consume an offering, not people. Or maybe it was a reference by John back to Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and yeah, judgment came down on Sodom and Gomorrah, and like, whoo, nuclear bomb to the city, and, and it was brutal. But like, really, you want to do that again? Have I not taught you anything? Jesus is really kind of upset with them, that word rebuke. Boy, I don't want God to have to rebuke me. <laughs> Yet yeah, John gets rebuked, the one Jesus loves. He's referred to in Scripture The world is searching for and just pinpointing what we're against. So how are we going to be the ones that will really make a focused effort on making known that we're for people more than we're against people? No wonder the enemy wants to keep digging up what we are against because it distracts everyone from what God is so for, and that's people. God's for people. Satan wants to get our eyes off of people and focus on stuff. 
when Jesus wants us to get our eyes off stuff and focus on people. So Satan wants us to get our eyes off of people and focus on stuff. Jesus wants us to get our eyes off of stuff and focus on people, whom we're for. Two instances in the text here, you know, the man casts out demons in Jesus' name, and they already have tried to stop him. They weren't saying, should we try to stop him, Jesus? Just wondering your take on this, you know. No, they're like, Jesus, no worries, we tried to stop him. He's like, huh? Right? But on the, so they at least got it a little bit on instance two. People were not welcoming the thought of Jesus coming to their town. There's reasons I'll talk about a little bit here. But, you know, so they're like, well, let's just call down the fire, right? I love how Paul puts it. He's in prison. He's a writer of a bunch of the New Testament after this. He's, he used to persecute the church, and then Jesus and him have this meeting on this quiet road. And he goes from, like, the persecutor of the church to, like, the man making Jesus known. And uh, his name switches from Saul to Paul. It's this whole beautiful moment in the book of Acts. But then he goes on to start teaching all these things about, like, how we should live and what we should do and all these things. What, uh, and, and he gets imprisoned himself for sharing the faith. And one of the moments while he's in prison, he gives this teaching. Philippians 1, 15 through 18 says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul's like, I'm in jail, and I know some are trying to wreck my testimony while I'm in jail, but who cares if Jesus is being made known? If they're not against you, they're for you. Even if they're against you and sharing Jesus, they're for you. Isn't that intriguing? So here in the first instance, this guy is casting out demons in Jesus' name, successfully, I would assume, something the disciples were unable to do. And the section we talked about, you can listen to last week's talk. Maybe their rebuke was uh, part jealousy. Maybe it was part defending the culture of the disciples and the gospel. But either way, Jesus was making it clear to not be against those who were preaching him and making him accurately known. You know, it doesn't matter what denomination is preaching Jesus. If they're preaching Jesus, what church is preaching? If there's churches preaching Jesus, it's awesome. It doesn't matter if they're a cult. If they're preaching Jesus, Jesus is being made known. Some of you are going, wait, that weird meter. I'm just saying. I think there's a lot of people that are going to make it into heaven and they find Jesus in places other than Christian churches. Okay, enough said. I won't go down that road too far. Paul simply beautifully repeats it here in Philippians 1. What does it matter? At least they're making Jesus known. Okay, good. I got that. I'll, I'll, I'll step up. I'll start making him known, Lord. 
So the second scene is interesting. Jesus is finally, you know, and it's building in Luke 9, this whole reality that Jesus is going to have to die. And it's really confusing for his disciples because they're expecting an earthly king to rise up as the Son of God. They didn't quite get the whole, oh, he's going to pay the price of sins once and for all. He's going to die for our sins. They didn't quite put all this together yet. And so it's, Jesus is now making his way towards Jerusalem. And, and on his way, he's wanting to share the good news of the kingdom of God with Samaritans who are in direct opposition in life. They don't associate. They're repulsed by Israel and Jerusalem. And so like Samaritans and Israelites, they never hang out. They cross on the other side of the street. They don't get along. And so maybe they would have been open to Jesus, but they were not open to Jesus if he's going to Jerusalem. Kind of like today, people are a lot more willing to have a conversation about the gospel than they are to come to church to hear the gospel. So we all need to be open to talking about Jesus as much as we're open to inviting people to come and hear about Jesus, right? So it's just intriguing to to put all these pieces together and look at what's really happening here because they didn't welcome Jesus. And that's when the disciples get all like fire down from heaven on them. And Jesus is saying, don't destroy them. I'm here full of grace. Let's just wait because it's not their time. Let's move on to the next city. There'll be a time where they'll be responsive to the gospel. We don't destroy them or come against them because they're not welcoming us yet. We have patience and that the time will come where the door will open there. I believe Jesus is looking for the same thing from His church today. I believe He's not looking for a church that will call down judgment on our communities or or use signs and, and picket the sins of the world. That's not our role. That's not the Jesus of this gospel. He says, no, go to the Go to the next town. I can almost hear his rebuke as people march and protest against people for issues. And Satan's sitting back chuckling, going, got him focused on things instead of people again. Jesus was, the word here is resolutely making his way to Jerusalem. He, with a passion, was making his way to take upon himself the sins of the world so you and I could have eternal life through faith in him. Taking our sins upon himself. Like he was resolutely making his way to Jerusalem, but he still was willing to pause and be interrupted and share his faith. And I just wonder if we're just as resolutely for people as Jesus was. Because if we're resolutely for people, I think we won't allow the issues in this world to trip us up as quickly as we do. I was sat down for a coffee 
not long ago with another pastor who wanted me to join them and like unify. He wanted unity. And the Bible talks a lot about being united with everybody, and it's a good thing to be united. And, uh, and he says, I was like, well, what does that mean to you? I said, Talk to me. What are you, th- what are you thinking? Well, I want, I want us to, to like protest the city together. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I was like pretty quick. I think I really offended him. I felt bad. But I was like, I was like no thanks. He's like, Whoa. but there's things happening that are sinful, so let's march and protest together as brothers in Christ. It's like, I really don't see that. Like, I'm friends with the person you'd be picketing. And I've been making an investment into their life and serving them. And I think it'd be better just to have coffee and talk and share your perspective instead of making Jesus look like this big rebuker, like against person. He's very for people. I don't know. A couple questions for you to conclude here. I go on big tangents on this. How long has it been since you've invited someone to church? There's no better time of year than right now. Like everybody's thankful. People are like in this mode of like we barely finished our candy and like there's carols on the radio. You're like, what is happening? Like we don't play Christmas music in our house until right after Thanksgiving. That's usually when our meter on our house starts going because we put so many lights on it, right? And I usually plug them in on Thanksgiving night. Griswold. You know, you think I'm joking. I am not joking. Anyway, so it's a lot of fun. We love Christmas. We get way into it. And, uh, but yet, there's no better time for people to process the faith because they're just seeing this nativity. There's all these conversations and, and, and the world's like, don't say Christmas, you know. Let's say holiday. And there's all this, take down the trees, you know, and all this war. What if we're just so for people during the holidays, you know? It's a great time to just make Jesus' grace known. And we're, so it's this open season. It's a great time to invite somebody to come and, and hear about his love. And I think the best thing for you to really get a heart for how welcoming or how important it is to be one of the welcomers in church is to have somebody with you who's never been in church before be welcomed. It's all of a sudden very, like, it makes it very personal. It makes it matter. Sometimes we think, well, I don't feel well today. I'm going to stay home or I have the sniffles and, you know. But what if you're the face that might smile at somebody's guest? What if you're the welcomer? What if you're the one that they just kind of look across the room and go, well, I relate to that person. Oh, well, not me. They wouldn't relate to me. How do you know that? Students, I think it's huge for you. It's like, what parent? This is how it works. Parents come through the door, and they're looking. They come shopping. They shop churches. Kind of like you have restaurant shoppers. Parents shop churches. They come in, and they might not bring their kids the first time, whether they're children or whether they're youth. And they'll kind of check it out and see if there's others the same age there. And if there is, they'll bring their youth. That's kind of the way it often happens. Because I'll, I'll ask them, oh, so what? You know, how did you hear about open life? Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was kind of looking for a place. I went to church when I was a student. I was looking for a place with youth. And then you're like, ah. Oh. There's none here this week. You know, and you're kind of like, ah, 
It's that way in any realm. You never know if you're the one. And it's not, you don't have to be working as a volunteer anywhere to be somebody who might make the biggest impact on somebody's life every Sunday. Walking in, seeing a conscious effort of people being welcoming to other people is so vital. And I would just say one of the healthiest things you could do to be more welcoming is to invite people to church so that you see the value in being welcoming. I don't know, just a thought. And the other question that I want to close with, worship team, you can come up, is do people know you as someone who is for people or against them? Kind of a brutal, honest question. Gut check question. But here's a big gut check. And I debated not saying this, but I was like, no, because I felt it in the moment that it came out this week. When you heard the news this week that Apple's CEO came out saying he was gay, and he used the words, it's the greatest gift of God, his sexuality. Gut check. Did you instinctively get bothered? Did you want to boycott Apple? Did you want to, like... Be one of the hypocrites criticizing Apple, typing it on their MacBook Air or iPad or iPhone. They're blogging. Oh, I hate Apple. Oh, wait. Oh, I mean, shoot. (laughs) You know, like, okay, let's think about what you're doing here. I hope you intuitively thought I could give a rip about the dude's sexuality. Because we love people. People is the point. Jesus has called us to go in communities and love people, not take a stand for their this or that sexuality deal. If, if a couple can't walk in here and worship, imagine Jesus' face as he rebuked the disciples when they wanted to call down fire. I think he would give us that same look. I get a little passionate on that subject, so before I just totally I don't know how Jesus is going to sort all this out but all I know is he rebukes the thought of calling down fire on a person or on a city because no matter their sexuality their social status, their income the city they live in the country they dwell the region they current or the issues they currently confess or religion they currently confess Jesus loves them and we're supposed to be the carriers of that same for you mindset that same welcoming mindset no matter where they're at if there's no hidden expectation that means no hidden expectation. We're for people, not just for this type of people, whatever th- that blank is for you. So the response time is probably going to involve a little more thinking than normal now, right? Because you're going, oh, yeah. And this is where you pull out the connection card that every one of you has filled out, right? Already? If not, frantically fill it out. Because on the back side, there's three action steps. Well, there's a bunch of action steps, but three specific ones on the bottom of the left-hand side say, you know, man, my next step is to be consciously more hospitable. 
Like I'm going to pay attention now and I'm, going to, I'm not going to get stuck in my own little us four no more circle. I'm going to see someone and say, hey, thanks for coming today. That's a great phrase. If you just said that to people who walked through the door at church, you would make a world of impact in people's lives. Thanks for coming today. I mean, seriously, thank you. Second response there would be focus on what you are for. And maybe you don't even know. Maybe you've been so locked into a mindset of what you're against, you haven't even really processed what you're for. We need to figure this out. I guarantee one thing you're supposed to be for is all people because Jesus desires that none would perish without relationship with him. And then third is just that challenge. Invite someone. Invite someone to open life because that's the litmus test. That's like the, okay, yeah, okay. I get why we need to be welcoming. I get why I need to get here. I get, I get this. We, we need each other. Lord, I, I just thank you for the opportunity you give us to, to come freely, to worship you, to make you known in our community. But God, I, unfortunately, these, these are just too ugly scenarios in the church, unfortunately. But we're so stinking good at being what? Being against things. And I just think the enemy's like really happy about that. And Jesus is really not. So I pray that you would give us your love for people, that that would be something that would stir us to action, to be welcoming both at church and in the community to anyone, no matter who they are, what they believe, what they practice. We would just be lovers of people, before people, that we would be known as those who are for people and not against them. Jesus, we love you, and we love that you love us. But man, we need to, we need to not get stuck in a rut of Christianity that would be the haters or judgers. We need to get stuck in a rut of being those that are for people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Stir us to action. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's talk. If you have a question about what you've heard today or if you have a need we can pray with you about, feel free to click on the Let's Connect or Need Prayer button on the upper right side of the message archive page. Or if you're listening on iTunes, you can always email info at livinglifeopen.com. If you'd like to join in the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can give online at livinglifeopen.com by following the giving tab and clicking give now. We're excited you took the time out of your busy week to listen to our talk. But have you ever thought about visiting us on a Sunday morning? We meet at 10 a.m. each Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School. We would love to see you on a Sunday and then you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing online. Finally, stay up to date with everything Open Life by visiting livinglifeopen.com, following us on Twitter, or liking us on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy the rest of your day and week.